You're listening to Tarot Talk, and I'm your host, Holly Ramey. I'm going to serve you some practical magic and give you tips and tools to bring the mystical into your everyday life. All right. Welcome, everyone. I am sitting here with Jeff Hinshaw who was one of my first tarot teachers and mentors. Jeff is a mystic. He's a tarot reader. He is an astrologer. He's the host of an amazing podcast called Cosmic Cousins. And he is a mentor of many esoteric practices, as well as a yoga teacher and just an all-around magical dude. So thank you so much for having taking the time to be on the show. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here with you. So I just wanted to get started and ask you just when you first became interested in metaphysical metaphysical practices in general. Yeah. I think that that is such a cool question. And it's one that it's nice to be reminded to go back into that. So um, for me, my earliest earliest memory of astrology goes all the way back to when I was a kid. Um, there was always this draw towards it. And so practices like astrology and tarot have been intricately woven into the fabric of our culture, um, whether we're conscious of it or not. And so I used to be obsessed with uh, the simulation computer game, The Sims. <laughs> and my fascination emerged uh, because of the human design opportunities that were present in this game. And so essentially... Uh, based on the personality traits that you assign your sim, like your little character, uh, the algorithm of the the computer game would change the astrological sign. So like when you were playing with it, there was this astrological wheel. And so you would see all the symbols. So I was like only like eight years old, but I was seeing the astrological symbols. And I was just like innately drawn to that aspect of the game. Whereas like, I think another kid who might have played the sims was interested in the architecture that you could like build the houses and things. But for some reason I was like really drawn to this component that was connected to the personality, but was also connected to these mystical symbols. And so I think it's really cool. Whoever designed the Sims uh, consciously chose to make an astrological wheel. And so when you mate your character, right, you pick their look, you pick their interest and even the, even their career and all of those things like lined up to pick its astrological sign. So you didn't actually like consciously make the astrological choice, mm-hmm. but based off of your decisions, it would shape the astrological energy. And so I was just like really fascinated by that. And so it's like, when I think about like when I first got interested into it, it's like, it's always been there. Even as a kid, it was always there. Um, so as we're like heading towards this Aries full moon, I'm really, I'm feeling the reminder of the people that came before us who carved out a path for us. And so um, even if it's something as like a small detail in a computer game, it planted this seed of inspiration within my own psyche um, that connected me to this mystical practice. And so even that like the planting of this, of a seed in a psyche feels very Aries to me. Um, It's like this, like, initial spark of inspiration so um i'm just like as we're heading towards aries full moon i'm feeling that and so um yeah so at a young age eight years old you were at a young age yeah and you know so i'm conscious of the fact that there's people who inspired me to go on this path but I don't necessarily even know who those people are. And so it's reminding me of the interconnectedness that we all have. And it's, it's, this interest is not just with me. It's also with you and with everyone listening to this podcast that it's, it kind of reverberates out. And so this interest I feel and sense it's like part of this collective awakening in some way that we're all being drawn to these people have from the beginning of time, even, um, which again is bringing me back to Aries Aries gets sold short a lot of times. Um, Pisces, we talk about as this like very mystical energy. Aries is just as a mystical because it, it is the beginning of time. Mm. Aries is that spark 
of inspiration, that spark of the universe. And so uh, there is something here that keeps drawing me back to the beginning of not only my journey, but all of the people who carved out a path for me before. Yeah. And so I'm acknowledging that today and this week, as I've been meditating with the emperor, which is Aries soul growth card and meditating on the Aries esoteric phrase as well. So, um, what yeah. is the esoteric phrase for Aries? The, the esoteric phrase for Aries is I come forth and from the plane of mind, I rule. Wow. So it is Aries is like when we're doing esoteric astrology, the ruling planet, traditional ruling planet for Aries is Mars, but the esoteric ruling planet is Mercury. So it is about communication. It's coming forth from the mind. And so when we think of uh, Queen of Aries, Maya Angela has the ability to communicate these truths that are connecting us to the beginning of time, that are connecting us to our ancient wisdom, our ancestors, and how we embody those. Um, so yeah, my journey began before this incarnation, really, whether it was my previous incarnations or the people that came before me, it's this like thread that's kind of weaving us all together. Um, but yeah, the Sims computer game was like when I can really like, like sense it and feel that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I love that we're talking so much about Aries. Well, it is the Aries full moon when this episode will air. And right. I'm Aries. And also what you said about, you know, the communication. It's like <clears throat> I learned, <clears throat> excuse me, from you um, and listening to Cosmic Cousins that we grow through our opposing sign. And so, and for me, my opposing sign is my rising sign. Mm -hmm. And I've learned so much this Libra season about how it, how to balance I am <laughs> with mm -hmm. who we are. And yes. I love what you said about Aries being so mystical. I never really thought of that. And I always attribute my mystical practices with the fact that my work and career houses are in the water. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so my Scorpio, I think is second house or sixth house. And so yeah. I'm like, Oh, that's why I'm a tarot reader. Um, but the one phrase that I learned actually in the Brooklyn fools with you was, um, I think it was Jodorowsky. Is that how you say his name? Um, Yodorovsky, I think. I don't even know. That's how I've always said it, but I'm not even sure, actually. He says, for the emperor, he says, I am the one who sees your weaknesses, mm. yet does not weaken. Mm. And to me, like, yes, that's strength and that's emperor energy, but like, what kind of shadow? Like, it's shadow work. And mm. that's what much of this is, right? Our ability to look at both. Yeah. And I, I think that you're also bringing up a really cool point when you're talking about attributing your mystical side to your water houses or the, your like, career house being owned by a water sign and attributing that, that to your water signs um, in your house, because we do have all of the astrological signs within our chart. Mm -hmm. But that feeling of Aries to me is I come forth with all of this knowledge from Pisces, yeah, we are evolving not only through our polar sign, but also the sign that comes before us. Mm. So it becomes this spectrum. And that's the thing is like Mercury, right. Is only going to ever be in, in your same sign as your son or the sign that comes before or after because of our perspective of Mercury. So Mercury is only ever going to be in as an Aries Mercury will only ever be in Pisces, Aries, or Taurus. And so it kind of splits the Aries into these three different groups. And that right there is already showing you the spectrum of astrology and how um, Aries holds both Pisces and Taurus energy within. Um, so, and we hold all 12 within. So, yeah. What's your Mercury in? Do you know? Libra. I have a stellium in Libra, four planets in Libra, and then I have three planets in Aries. So I have a lot happening just in those two. Signs. Cool. Nice. And I think Aries is in the seventh house, which is the house of partnerships, right? Yeah. So that's what's fun about the Libra rising chart is that you're, like, your sun is in the polar house of Libra. 
And that's going to be true for most of your planets will be in the polar energy. So like, for instance, you'll have a cancer midheaven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And cancer is the opposite of Capricorn, even though that's a Capricorn placement. So that's Libra is always going to be An balancing. Yeah. yeah. So it's like finding the duality in everything. <laughs> yeah. Finding that, that balance. It's, mm-hmm. it's that sacred balance. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> the seed was planted around eight. When did you really start to study these metaphysical practices? Um, mm-hmm. Did you start right away? Did you start reading books and things about astrology or did you? Bring it yeah, I, you know, Barnes and Noble always going to the like self-help section, the metaphysical section from a young age. Um, but it like came in and out at different times. I know that like I I used to be obsessed with board games. And so there was this board game shop that had tarot cards there. And I picked up a set, not knowing what it was when I was around like 15. Mm-hmm. And that was the Aleister Crowley Thoth tarot. So I just like picked that up and it re- like immediately it resonated. So I kind of really started getting into it when I was in high school then I took a break when I was in college and then it came back because I had a boyfriend that was into tarot. And so it's just kind of like popped in and out, um, throughout my life. Um, and it wasn't until I got to New York city that it really just like made sense. And, and New York's a mystical place. Uh, the Rider Waite Smith centennial, the Pamela Coleman Smith made the, this deck here in Brooklyn that, at Pratt. So there, there is this mystical component. It's kind of been, even as I've like moved to different places, I've kept the name Brooklyn fools Mm -hmm. and Brooklyn tarot because of its connection uh, to this place. It's a portal here. Yeah. That's amazing. Cause I live next to Pratt for most of my time in New York. I never even knew that. Uh Or if I knew I had forgotten. Yeah. So funny because you said you took a break during college, but you studied psychology, which I did, yeah. You just talked about human design in uh-huh. The Sims when you were eight. And the more and the longer and the deeper that I get into this practice, especially of giving tarot readings, the more I tend to use language and, and kind of run parallel to what I've been learning in my own practice with my own therapist, really. Um, And I've actually considered studying psychology because Mm -hmm. I see so many parallels because we're examining the human experience. Yeah. Um, And so I, I feel like maybe it wasn't a break, but just a deeper (laughs) learning. So tell me a little bit about um, how do, do you feel that there's a connection between the two? Definitely. And I, I absolutely, and when you say the two, you mean between psychology and your mystical practices. Yeah. I, I absolutely honor psychology and I understand it to be a stepping stone to where I am today. Um, we can even think Scorpio rules over psychology and esoteric arts. Mm. So when we're engaging, yeah, when we're engaging with these practices, we're going into the subconscious realm. Yeah. And so just by us talking about psychology, we're talking about Scorpio too. So we're also engaging with energies that aren't just people. So studying astrology, for instance, helps give us language. So for instance, Scorpio fixed water um, has the ability to fixed, hold space for water, emotions, holding space for emotions, psychology, also esoteric practices. So the lower form of that is like, absorbing people's emotions and holding on to them. So for Scorpios, it's important to cleanse Mm -hmm. regularly. Having some sort of cleansing practice, I would say the same would be for a psychologist and for a tarot reader. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they are connected, but they're also different too. They are different practices. And so I attended uh, the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and that's where I got a degree in psychology. And so I, I actually my first week of school, I signed up for business classes and I immediately like had a no in my body and I switched to psychology classes right then. And even then I knew that it wasn't necessarily like it, 
but it felt more in alignment than business classes. Mm -hmm. So there's been something with psychology that has drawn me in, but it wasn't like necessarily going as deep as I wanted to go. And what I mean by that is we can think of psychology is, is connected to, so the, the actual study of psychology is the study of the mind, right? Um, it's a scientific study of the mind. Um, and, but there was the missing link between body and spirit for me that I didn't know. I didn't actually, it, it was like this longing. It was kind of this like unnameable thing for me of like, I like this, I get it, but it's not like it. And it, so it was missing these pieces for me. And, um, I was drawn mainly to personality psychology. And so for those that aren't familiar with personality psychology, it's a branch of psychology that studies the personality, um, which, you know, it's, it's variations among different individuals. So I was drawn to that, which already that almost feels like another stepping stone towards astrology, we could say. Mm. Um, but personality originates from the Latin word persona, which means mask. And there's something for me in the psychology practice that sometimes it feels like it's working with this conscious reality. If we think of a mask, it's like us here right now. Um, and it's going into the subconscious, but I really was like looking for the super conscious side of it too, with these layers of consciousness. And so, um, I graduated and then, um, I didn't want to keep pursuing psychology, but I was still interested in it. And so I kind of had this like existential crisis and I didn't know what I was doing. And that's the thing is like this path of, um, pursuing, right. It's like, uh, in this, in our Western culture is like, we're ambitiously pursuing a path. Um, and I didn't have anything to ambitiously pursue at that point. So if I started having panic attacks, I started drinking a lot. I started, you know, like, um, making not the best decisions that were aligned with me. And I was kind of lost and didn't know what was going on. And so eventually that led to me finding yoga, and like needing something that was going to ground me and, and to bring healing to my digestive system. And, and, and it was once I got into yoga that I started tuning into using my experience from psychology, the study of the mind to then study the body mm. and then seeing how those connect with each other. So, um, psychology is a stepping stone and yoga was almost this kind of like overarching energy that kind of allowed like guided me on my path towards esoteric practices and it's all on the same spectrum and so it's not saying like psychology's wrong there is no right or wrong it almost feels like um the the columns of duality that the high priestess sits between and so it's like a, just a different perspective um and i it's not my work but i know that people are in the works of bridging practices like tarot and psychology, astrology and psychology. And I, it's, it's, it's happening. happening now. The psychology yeah. is evolving. Um, my psychologist, or Bakara's psychologist gave her a tarot deck. Like, right. My yeah. psychologist um, is a somatic practitioner. So originally trained in gestalt, but um, she incorporates the body. Everything is, is, um, process through the lens of the body. Mm -hmm. And so, and do you know the holistic psychologist on Instagram, Nicola Para? Oh yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, everything she, so much of what she teaches, meditation, breath work, um, food, it, they're bringing, it's yeah. bringing back into alignment with a bigger, yeah. a more holistic view. And so that was not available to me in like whatever 2008 when I was in North Carolina that was like that was not like people weren't doing that or talking about that so it's really inspiring to see that emerge and I'm excited to see what you know I maybe it's Pluto and Scorpio generation maybe it's some Pluto and Libra generation but um, there's definitely some evolutions happening and um, it's exciting to be on this journey with everyone and, and see where it takes us it's super exciting. And I love what you said, even about just like psychology gives us language and how really powerful that is. Because like, for me, that's what it's done for me is like in my readings, it's given me more language to 
to help you. Language is such power. You know, when we can name something and take it outside of ourselves, how powerful is that? Right. And that's kind of what the cards help us to do too. Right. Is identify these archetypes and how they exist within us. Um, But something about putting language to it. Yeah. That was this opportunity for deeper healing and study. Absolutely. So one of my most favorite books and, and something that just helped me to apply all of these practices and really to integrate them, like, like you said, yoga, tarot, astrology, Reiki for me, um, is called Eastern Body, Western Mind. And it was written by Anadea Judith. And I, you studied with her. Um, I did, yeah. And so I would just love to hear a little bit about that. Like, when did you find her? How did you find her? What did you study? Yeah, so this is part of like that stepping stone because I, um, I learned about her through yoga. Okay. Um, and it was, I think in my first yoga teacher training, it wasn't Eastern Body, Western Mind, but it was Wheels of Life was part of our reading on the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I then, through my own investigation, started getting into the chakra system. And I saw that she had psychology of the chakra system, Eastern body, Western mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I moved to New York city, like right after my yoga teacher training. And I just was like full on, like wanting to learn everything I could at that time. It was very like, felt like a very page of wands, page of swords kind of time of my life where I was just like, so excited about everything and uh, about learning and creating. And I, so I went, I frequented places like the open center, you know, I'd take every class I could. And um, she had, I saw that she had a class coming up. And so it was a three-day workshop, which was psychology of the chakra system. And so it was, it was for yoga teachers who wanted to, to utilize psychology in their work. And it was also for psychologists who wanted to utilize a more esoteric or Eastern uh, perspective. And so I did a three-day workshop with her and it just really clicked and it really inspired me. And so then I signed up for a more deeper training with her. And so I, I did a 10-day immersive with her and um, it completely changed my life. And like sitting here with you now, and, and knowing that we did the Brooklyn Fools journey together, it was her work that inspired the Brooklyn Fools in a lot of ways because she uh, would bring people together in a circle and create dialogue around the chakra system. And so we um, gathered seven days in a row, one day for each chakra center. So we went from root to crown. Um, and I was like, that would be cool to do that for the major arcana of the tarot. Yeah. And, um, you know, so definitely like she inspired my work in a lot of ways. That's funny because my next question was going to be how <laughs> you created the Brooklyn Fools. Yeah. So that's part of it. Yeah, for uh-huh. sure. And the Brooklyn Fools, for those of you who don't know, who are listening, is a tarot community created by Jeff. Um, and it is an immersive study of the major arcana in the tarot. Um, it was one of the most beautiful experiences I had had in, um, in New York, in my studies of esoteric practices. And you really were, we talked about this with Bakara last week, but, um, really just like stepping into this magician to, to create this beautiful experience. And how did you did you do that on your own or did you have someone that co-created that first group with you? Um, how did that all come together for you? Yeah. It's cool to hear the reflection of the magician, like coming through there because that was my magician year that we gathered together. And Mm -hmm. so each year is a different card. And so it starts with the fool. So that first year was the fool. So it did feel very foolish. It was just kind of this, like on a whim, like, what if I do this? And I kind of just, created this like Rolodex of people in my mind that I was just like, you, Hey, you, do you want to do this group? Mm-hmm. Hey, you over there, I met you once we were tie dyeing and you said, you like tarot? 
I found you on Facebook. Do you want to like gather? So it was like just this coming together of a diverse group of people who were excited to learn from one another. And mm -hmm. so that year I, I facilitated it, but I, I wasn't teaching because mm -hmm. I was learning. And so I was bringing people together in a way that was like, we're all going to learn from each other. And yes, I was bringing um, my ability to lead a guided meditation. I would lead a guided meditation at the beginning of each gathering, or I would curate where we were going to be. So that first year, it was like the hermit gathering we had at the ashram in the West Village. Um, and so I had emailed the Swami there, who's been a Swami there since the 70s, who has committed himself to a life of meditation and celibacy and really living the hermit's path. I asked him if he would sit in with us. So we had a fool for each gathering. And so a fool was someone that was like not in our group that embodied the archetype of the week. Mm -hmm. So like the Hierophant gathering, which was a very special gathering. It was very healing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, we had like a minister, a Lutheran minister sit in and we sat up at the, you know, at the altar space. So um, that full year, it was like, I was learning as I was going. I didn't even know, you know, at that time that the devil came after temperance. It was like that fresh for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was conceptualized out of this place of me being just like really open to spirit. And just as a double Aquarius, like when I am open to spirit, I'm bringing people together in a new and radical way that celebrates diversity. So that is amazing because you, so the year I did it with you was the following year. Right. But I had assumed that this had some, been something you had been doing for ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, because the, the practice just comes, I feel like teaching is a very natural thing for you. Um, you really embody the practice. And so it comes through with so much integrity. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that it seemed to me like you were a very seasoned reader and co-creator of this this group in this space. Yeah. Um, That's nice. Thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like, you know, I was definitely pretty new at all of it. Yeah. And I still, I still feel that way. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, now I have like six years of experience leading this group. So I'm going into my higher font year this year. And I, and I'm starting to really get to know the archetypes through the lens of these years. And the, so you created your podcast, Cosmic Cousins, in a similar way. I mean, it's not a, you know, it's not a group, a, a community, but it is a community. Um, and you are teaching. And I've learned so much about astrology just by listening over the past, what, year, year and a half? Yeah. Um, yeah. Two, just had the two-year anniversary. Two years. Okay. Yeah. Um, so tell me how that came through. Do Had you already been working as an astrologer? Um, no, I mean, for about a year, but I wasn't giving astrology readings, but I... Um, led a 12-week Cosmic Cousins astrology journey, which was similar to the Brooklyn Fools, where we met once a week through each astrological sign. Okay. And um, I made the shift from tarot to astrology because I felt this deep longing to, um, to connect with a wider audience. There was just something that was just like, uh, astrology is such a... Um, a common practice. It's so heavy in meme culture and, and social media that it really, I was fascinated by astrology and wanting to learn more. And so I, I expanded out. There are two very different practices. So when we were talking about Scorpio as connected to tarot and psychology, mm -hmm. Aquarius rules over astrology. Mm. And um, you're so an Aquarius, right? Um, yeah, I'm an Aquarius sun, Aquarius rising. So um, these are both fixed signs. So Scorpio fixed water, Aquarius fixed air. Scorpio is holding space for fixed emotion in the subconscious realm. Aquarius is holding space for cosmic information, fixed air. Uh, so they're square. It's interesting. Tarot and astrology actually square one another. Squares can mean restriction and obstacles, but they're also squares are major breakthroughs. 
Um, I think of all the fixed signs as creating this soul pact is what I like to call them. Um, all the cardinal signs create a soul pact, all the mutable signs. And so um, the fixed signs, both tarot and astrology are part of this fixed energy is uh, holding space for something, but it's also the purity of the suit fixed is is that so scorpio is the purity of water and aquarius is the purity of air um so these two practices even though that they might seem very different do work together Mm -hmm. yeah um so it, it was just like another part of my evolution as a teacher and i i think i do resonate more as an aquarius with astrology um but i also have a scorpio midheaven yeah so you bring those two together beautifully though and and I always, as well, um, not in, a, in as deep of a way as you do, but I, I teach a little bit of the connection. And um, how do you, so I hear you talk a lot about like this card is the, like emperor is the ruling card for Aries. So how do you, is this something that you've come up with on your own? Is this something that you've studied? Like, uh, like aligning the cards with the astrological planets and symbols and also the way that you'll say like you like fixed is Kings, right? Or right. Right. Queen. So how do you yeah. how does that come about? So there's two different answers to this question. And the first one is when I'm working with major arcana cards, mm-hmm. um, the golden dawn tradition of tarot assigned the astrological correlations to the cards. So when I'm talking about major arcana cards, it is based off of the golden dawn tradition. So there is a lineage there. Okay. And, um, but I've kind of, I, I upgrade the vocabulary around some of the ways that they're communicated. So like, for instance, I call the emperor Aries soul growth card. So when I say a soul growth card, that's my wording that I've used to just kind of, upgrade the way that we're we're looking at them instead of saying that you know aries is ruled by the emperor which Mm -hmm. sounds some somewhat patriarchal to me yeah soul growth is something that um allows me to feel into maybe the more soul-centered attributes of the emperor okay yeah and so golden dawn for the major but when it comes to the court cards that's Mm -hmm. just been my own um, meditation. So okay. I'm like, Oh yeah. Fixed signs are King. Like, okay. Like fixed air Aquarius King of swords. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is Angela Davis. This is Oprah Winfrey. This is Audrey Lord, Frederick Douglas, Douglas, Abraham Lincoln fixed air. Yeah. But when we're looking at like fixed water, Scorpio, Brene Brown, King of cups, mm. Um, Claude Monet, King of Cups. There's like, you can like feel it in the court cards and court cards are my favorite cards in, yeah. in the deck. And I think that that's cool because a lot of people um, are confused by them, but I, I work with them the most. That's so interesting because yeah. I do feel like they can be the most challenging cards to understand and read and embody. So um, what is mutable, Queen? So mutable is fun because since there's 16 court cards, mm-hmm and only 12 astrological signs, the mutable signs get both the pages and the Queens. So it's like Pisces, the two fish, it's the page of cups and queen of cups. Mm. Our Gemini mutable air, the twins page of swords, queen of swords. So yeah, we can feel that with a mutable with their adaptability and changeability. And yeah. And then what's, let's just go, what's Cardinal. So Cardinal are the Knights. They're initiating, they're activating. Yeah. Knight of wands is Aries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, is that pioneering spirit, which is fun because Libra often gets typecast as this like sweet, like kind of like, um, you know, wanting to make the peace. But Libra, when we're looking at the court cards is Knight of Swords. And we know the Knight of Swords is the fastest moving knight. We're talking Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez now. We got the Knight of Swords, mm-hmm. you know, to be sure. We feel that with Libra. And so, but then it's like, okay, Libra's ruled by Venus. So we put the Empress venus next to the knight of swords and you're like whoa these two cards together are really giving me the this embodiment so now we can visualize the empress riding the horse full speed with a sword and she now looks like justice too which is a soul growth card for libra so she's also holding scales and keeping it balanced while she's going forward that's cardinal air so interesting 
Yeah. So that kind of layering is part of my practice too. Like whether I'm giving readings or um, meditating on the cards is like, how do the cards come together? Or if they're creating a conversation with one another, what, what are they saying? Because within Libra, there's the Empress having a conversation with justice. Mm. So now it's like, how do we create um, a beautiful world through serving justice that is in alignment and imbalanced with the greater whole? And so it's not beauty for beauty's sake, but it's beauty for creating new dialogue that is for gender equality, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, which is, is Libra. And so I think that some Libras might fall heavy into the Empress. Other Libras might fall heavy into the Knight of Swords. But it's, it's wanting to not just stay in one archetype, but having all of them work together. Because if we become too Empress heavy, um, we get the lower forms of that. Yeah. That card. Yeah. So interesting. It's- yeah. I'm a Libra rising and I was doing an exercise in a course a few weeks ago and we had to list like five or 10 things that were important to us. And one of my top five was social justice. And it surprised even me because I was like, what <laughs> is this? Yeah. Like, wait, that's, that's Libra. I don't, yeah. I don't identify with her very much, mm-hmm. but so she's very much there and it's so funny when we well, it's interesting you say that because it's your rising sign mm-hmm. and so i find personality psychology um often will attribute the rising sign to your appearance and who you are as an individual but from my meditations and also from some studies with esoteric astrology the rising sign is what you're waking up to within yourself mm. it's not about who you are as an individual and so oftentimes Uh, our rising signs come much later in life or um, we might even have like some difficulty understanding how to embody that. And, and so, yeah, hearing, reflecting that back to you, like kind of like, Oh, where's this social justice coming from? It's like, you're, you're waking up to it. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Um, So coming back to the tarot, um, if you, you said you were in, you're coming into your Hierophant year with the Brooklyn Fools. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what card would you feel is really um, connected to the, just the season of life that you're in right now? Right. What do you do? Um, I know some people have like a card that correlates with every, every year of their life through numerology. Yeah. Yeah, so if we're looking at that, the Hierophant is is my birth card. So I'm I'm a number five. Okay. Um, so I'm always connecting with that energy. Okay. And reflecting on it. Determined by your by the date by. Yeah. So you you'd add up all the the date like so I'm February so it's two for okay. that and then um so and then I'm February fourteenth so it's two plus one plus four and then each of the single digits of the year. Okay. And so that equals 32 and then you take three plus two and then you get five. So, um, that's my, my birth card is the Hierophant. And then you can, so the season of my life right now, I do use that system. I find it to be very powerful because you can start to understand cycles in your life. And so right now I'm in the sun year. Mm. I'm so the sun card is definitely, I'm learning a lot about it this year, which is cool because the Hierophant is on the same is in the same triad family as the sun. So I'm feeling a certain resonance. It's the hierophant, the hangman, and the sun make a little soul family in the tarot when you line up the cards three rows. Yeah. So yeah, the season of my life right now is the sun, and um, it is a, a really about stepping into your power. It's about stepping into your power from a place of um, lightheartedness it's it's not about um necessarily um power that is like the lower form of the solar plexus when the solar plexus is open and aligned it is this lightness it is this like joy that like radiates from you and so we can think of the sun shines its light to everyone on this planet unconditionally it does not discriminate against who it's shining its light to and we even think like we think that the sun 
uh, goes away during nighttime, but the sun's always there. We're just turning our back on the sun. Mm -hmm. So it is this, this, the sun comes to represent this source of universal compassion. And, um, I feel that as I've been expanding into my work this year, I'm really coming into my power with my voice and my offerings. Um, so th that's the card I'm using for the season of my life right now. Um, but then I also, you know, right now on my altar, I have the justice card out soul growth for Libra. So I, I really create my altar around the astrological seasons that we're in. And yeah. I have that little, um, it's like a little tarot holder. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's from, have you looked at the pagan other world deck? Mm -mm. So on their website, they have this little wood stand that holds your tarot cards in a really nice, like, way for your altar that's so sweet yeah i the there's a poem by hafez it says something like uh, oh gosh i can't remember the exact wording but it says the sun it's about the sun it's about the sh the sun looks to the earth the sun never looks to the earth and says you owe me mm. what happens with a love like that it lights the whole sky Wow. So very much in line with what you just said. Mm -hmm. Also the solar plexus, I see so much as this area of like protection mm. um, where we can really kind of lock in, in that low level with the fear. And so the sun representing that release of the protection and letting the, the protection be love instead. Mm -hmm. Um, and how that is like that innocence of the child mm -hmm. that's on the card. If those who are yeah. listening, there's a picture of a child on the, the sun and he has his arms outstretched and it's like joy. And yeah. yeah. So it takes a lot of, of unraveling, mm -hmm. unraveling of our cultural conditionings around that. And um, it makes me think of, Queen of Leo, who is Viola Davis, who's crowned Queen of Leo by the listeners of the podcast, um, just posted this video on Instagram, uh, which I'll, I'll send to you after this. But it's this video of her um, in a very fixed fire way, having this sense of authority and relationship to the way that she's holding herself. But she's talking about her inner child. And she's talking about how every day she has to talk to little Viola. And, and she says that now that she has like a hot tub at her house, she feels like her little inner child just squealing. <laughs> and she's just really gentle with her and saying, I know it's okay. We made it. This is part of the sun's energy too, that it feels like a spiritual adulting for me. It, it does have the kid on the card. There's like this inner child healing that's going on, but it's, it's not called the child riding a horse. It's called the sun. So the emphasis is on the sun and the power that it holds. And it is reminding us that we are all children of God, children of something greater. And so there is this unraveling of cultural conditioning, of familial conditioning. The sun card is coming into your own authentic expression that is separate from your roots, which is Leo is the sun is coming off of cancer, which is family. Leo is about coming into your authentic expression, whereas cancer is honoring the ancestors. Mm. So um, there's been a lot of that for me this year. My moon year, the year before, was I had a lot of family stuff come up, actually. Um, my, my dad had a really bad accident, was in a coma, and I had to go back home and live for a month and caretake. And so I was going back into the past and digging up old things, literally from the basement. I was clearing out the basement from college. Um, that's moon. And then coming into the sun is like, you know what? I cleared all that out. Now I'm free to step into to my own truth, my own authentic power, and allowing the inner child to... Uh, be set free in some ways, but we also know, and I know you and Bakar talked about it too, that uh, the inner child isn't always right. The inner child is sometimes kicking and screaming. And you know, too, uh, having a kid um, that, you know, you're, you're there and you hold space for them, fixed fire, hold space for them. Um, yeah. So season of my life is the sun card and also justice for Libra season. Yeah. But yeah. 
the word that keeps coming to my mind is like this reparenting, like this mm. ability to stand now. Yeah. Your inner child in your own authority and, and be generous. Yeah. It's a daily practice. It's like truly is. And I'm still learning about it. And so I'm just a deep bow to you and to all of the parents out there. And just ending on that note of like, just, I, I thank you for your generosity um, because your podcast and your teachings have um, just been so life altering for me and just um, using this practice and having this tool to apply and now um, offer so many readings in Nashville. <laughs> I've done yes. so many readings here. Um, it's really become the primary tool that I've used, which I never, ever expected going into the Brooklyn fools. I was not looking to become a professional tarot reader, but that just evolved. Um, yeah. And now just having another lens with your podcast. So um, for all of you listening, Jeff has this amazing podcast. And not only does he talk about astrology and tarot, but he applies it through pop culture and aligning and crowning the queens and hopefully soon the kings of the Zodiac. And it really helps us to understand how we embody these. Um, so it's not just information for the sake of information. It's information, but we, we understand it, we embody it, and, we, and you give us practical ways to, to bring it into our lives so that it makes sense, um, which I think is really important. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, can you tell the listeners how to find you and about your next um, course offering that's coming up? Yeah. So I'm on the IGs at cosmic.cousins or at Brooklyn Tarot. You can find me there. Say what's up slide in my DMs. Uh, you can find me at jeff at brooklynfools.com. And if you're interested in working with me, receiving a reading, or interested in any offerings that I have coming up, I do have a newsletter too. That would probably be the best way to stay in touch. And so you can sign up for that through the link on my Instagram, or you can go to brooklynfools.com and sign up for the newsletter there. And as Holly was saying, I am leading the Brooklyn Fools again this January to June. Um, and it is taking, there is an evolution to, uh, this year's, uh, journey. So I'm excited to share that with you. It's a little bit of an upgrade. Um, it's not just me. I have a team of people working on it. And so that I, I'm releasing some information on that in the coming weeks. And yeah. Um, so if you're looking to deepen your practice through ritual immersion, um, through daily meditation, um, I'm excited to help people unlock their, own channels to creating their no, their own innovative ways of working with the tarot and and that's the thing is like we we all have our own unique perspective when it comes to these cards and working with these energies there's more than enough space for all of us right now to be using this practice and to upgrade in it and to bringing about more of a collective intention in the way that we use it and so i think that that's just so important and it's something that I've had to continue to heal um, with myself and also with people I've worked with is that, um, you know, as we're in this age of Aquarius and this age of information, we see all of these posts coming through of, you know, this person's doing tarot now too, but it's like um, there's enough space for all of us to be doing that. Aquarius rules over space. It's all the stars in the sky. And so we all can be bright shining stars right now as we, push the collective forward. Um, and I'm excited to see what people continue to, to do and use with this practice as we, you know, are experiencing a lot with the environment. We're experiencing a lot in our political culture. And so I'm even feeling like a sense of urgency to take more action um, beyond the realms of just esoteric community. Um, so at some point I would even like to see the Brooklyn fools emerge as an activist organization or like something, I don't know when it's going to happen, but like, mm -hmm. I know that right now Pluto's in Capricorn and it moves into Aquarius in 2024. And it's a 30 year period that we're going to be under this Aquarian energy. And so when we're thinking of Pluto, it's deep psychological healing, which is 
astrology and tarot is falling under deep psychological healing in a very radical new age collective way. So, um, thank you for having this podcast and for, um, answering that calling and for continuing to make this information available to a wide cross section of people. It's only going to keep expanding from here. Yeah. So I'm going to link all of your info in the show notes and I just want to thank everyone out there listening and you Jeff for celebrating this practice and also just upgrading us all on these practices together for this Aries full moon. Boom, boom, boom. Aries full moon. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay, everyone, welcome to the second portion of the show. This is episode number 14, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff. I'm going to link all of his info in the show notes. And before I get started with the forecast for this full moon in Aries, just wanted to make a couple of announcements. Um, it is the final few days for the pre-sale of my digital tarot course, The Sacred Wheel. So um, the full moon is Saturday night or early Sunday morning, depending on what time zone you're in. So I'm going to keep it open until the end of the day on Sunday, and then it will go up to 3.33. If you're interested, all the info is available on my site, and you can you can kind of go through the syllabus there and see all of the topics that are going to be covered. This is open to both beginners and advanced practitioners. I'm going to go through all 78 cards in the deck. I'm going to talk about upright reversals. I'm going to talk about court cards, and I'm going to talk about the medicine behind each card right? So deeper than you may see in the guidebook that accompanies your deck, we're going to move through an understanding of the elements, an understanding of masculine and feminine energy, an understanding of the chakra system so that you can apply actual medicine and practical tools uh, to your readings so that you're not just looking at it from the understanding of what the card traditionally means. And eventually we'll talk about intuition and how to follow um, a more intuitive kind of soul-centered look at the wisdom of the cards rather than an egoic or fear-based look at the cards, um, which which happens, right? Because we're, we're humans having a mystical experience, but we still have an ego, right? So how do we kind of straddle that line between um, you know, the physical, the tangible and the metaphysical, right? Tarot is a beautiful example of how to do that. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to dive deep into an eight week journey and there will be uh, time for question and answer. There will be a community for you to touch base with and, um, bounce ideas off of and connect with. So, I'm really excited. So if you want more information, check it out. It's on my site or I post about it all the time on Instagram. And yeah, it's 2.22 until Sunday. So hop on that, you guys. I'm also going to be offering a Reiki level one attunement. So if you're in Nashville and you want to learn how to give Reiki to yourself and others, I'm going to be teaching a level one training. So you'll get a certificate to practice Reiki when you're done. You will receive an attunement of the Reiki energy. I teach you how to use it um, and how to give it to yourself and others. It's about a five-hour training. It's on November 3rd, which is a Sunday, 
And yeah, I'd love to see you there. It's great, great medicine for anyone who feels sensitive. If you consider yourself an HSP, a highly sensitive person to energy, um, Reiki is a great tool to learn energetic boundaries and cleansing. It's also just super healing. So anybody that works in the service industry, whether you're a yoga teacher or a Pilates instructor or a hairdresser, um, just anyone who's working with people, touching people, nurses, this is great for as well. Um, it's just a great tool to have, um, a, to protect, again, your own energy, but B, to send healing energy to your clients and students. So that is next month, and there's limited spots available for that. So if you want a space, do email me. And then I am doing a new moon in Scorpio ceremony. This is one of my favorite ceremonies of the whole year. I love, love, love Scorpio season. Um, this new moon is going to fall right before Halloween, so it's going to be super fun and witchy. Um, that's going to be here in East Nashville again. So um, I believe it's on a Sunday. It's the 27th. That's also up on my site now. So go ahead and... Um, sign up and yeah, join me for some, some magic. All right, you guys, let's get into the cards. This, <laughs> this season is dragging me. I'm a Libra rising. I've got my sun in Aries. So, um, this Libra season, and now we're about to have the full moon in Aries. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it mentally. I'm feeling it physically. I'm feeling it emotionally. Um, and many of you are too. So I know we've had some tough astrology over the last week and even the week before wasn't that great. Now Venus just moved into Scorpio. So we've got some like deep, like watery vibes in it. And it's really looking at like our relationships and our relationship to ourselves. And this full moon in Aries is really highlighting different ways that we can deepen our relationships, but also highlighting those parts of ourselves that we, um, that hold us back from really divine love and from loving ourselves and others, right? So the full moon to me is the, the climax, right? The culmination of, um, moving from new into full, moving from darkness into light. So the full moon highlights and then makes available for release. So I practice a release ritual on the full moon. Um, I really like to focus around what I'm letting go of. And then on the new moon, I focus on what I'm planting seeds of intention to grow. So if you want to do a full moon ritual, you can write down th some things that you're ready to let go of and burn that piece of paper, um, or you can put it in water and release the water. Um, you can just simply light some candles and do a meditation, right? You can make it as simple or as complex as you'd like, but let's get into the tarot medicine and what cards I pulled. So starting with the seven of wands, the seven of wands is very much a card about like strength and stamina and standing up for yourself and and also having the courage to like detox what doesn't serve you. So if there's external pressures that you're allowing to infiltrate and like wear down your energy, it's time to let that shit go. And it's also time to like stand up for yourself and for what you believe in with no apologies. Okay. And I'm pulling with this a chariot reversed. So it's not a time for overworking and productivity. It's not a time for like trying to push forward. I pulled a lot of cards this week about patience, right? This is a slow grow. This is a slow glow up. So we are, it's like slowly peeling the onion one layer at a time. And then I pulled, it's not that deep from the liminal space, which is an Oracle deck, right? So these three cards together, it's not that deep is telling us what we're, the place that we're at right now is where we're at. It's not that deep with the seven of wands, listen, nobody's coming to rescue us. We have to be our own daddy. There's no lifeguard on duty. It's, it's time to stop looking at the ways in which we are seeking external validation. We are looking for someone or something to come and save us. 
right? We can only see what we can see right now, and we can't push forward into what's not available. The sun is coming through, and clarity will come, but we've got to step back and be patient, all right? Six of swords coming through in the reversal. It's time to make friends with our fears. It's time to look deeply at the things that are holding us back, right? The wheel of fortune in the reversed position is here. And so we are absolutely 100% coming through to break out of a karmic cycle, right? That has to do with our way of thinking. And then I pulled, is it true? Is there, there is no other in the liminal space, which is a card about our ego, our attachment. And it's like, if you feel like you've been on the bottom of the wheel, if you feel like you haven't been that fortunate, you're not making it up. Like we've been through some shit, but at the same time, we are the only one, again, we are the only one who can save ourselves. No amount of like content, no amount of therapy, no amount of like reading books. Like, yes, there's a lot of stuff out there that can help us, but we also have to, we've got to put in the effort. We've got to take the time and examine what's holding us back. We've got to look so deeply within now at the parts of ourselves that we have disregarded, at the parts of ourselves that we have thrown away like trash. And I'm, I'm being harsh, but it's true because we all do it. We have all been modeled at somewhere, someplace, something in our lives has shown us that there is a part of ourselves that is not acceptable. And so we've trashed it. We've, we've pushed it down. We've set it aside. We've ignored it. And now it's clawing its way out to the surface. And, and we have a choice. We have a choice to either look and love and greet it with compassion or just to, to continue stuffing it down, right? And disregarding. The two of wands is telling me that like this is a time now for movement, for friction. The two of wands is like the, you know, the ace is the initial spark. And then in the two, we get matched with a, another energy coming in to help us create fire, right? To help us manifest the, the things that we want. But there's also this tension, right? In the two of wands, there's this friction. So it's not always super comfortable, right? And I feel like I can feel it in my physical body. I've got this tension, right? That's coming up. It's coming up to be released. So what I want to say about this reading is like, we've got to be patient and Invite in the tension, invite in the discomfort, invite in the parts of yourself now that want to really be seen, to be heard, that want attention. Pay attention to your loneliness, pay attention to your longing, pay attention to your deep desires. How do you regard them? Do you regard them? What do you want? What's your deepest heart's desire? Do you allow space for it? And, and not even like your deepest heart's desires. Like here's an exercise for the full moon. Give yourself some time and just write out what you, what you want, both, both deeply and in a more superficial way. Our desires are, are meant for us. Um, they are... Uh, who says this? I think it's Natalia Benson. Desire is of the sire. It is of God. It is our desires are what the universe wants for us. And so look deeply at these things um, and look deeply at the way that you regard them and how you create space for them in your life. This is not a time to um, skirt past any wanting or longing that you have. This is a time to regard yourself with as much attention and compassion and patience that you would regard a child. Okay, you guys, 
with the six of swords, this tells me that there's, there's going to be fear. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be a mental tantrum in, in this, right? We're going to have some, some trouble with it, right? The ego is going to fight back and there's going to be discomfort. But the beauty of the six of swords is when we allow those fears to come up and we regard them too with love. And we say like, all right, listen, I hear you. I see you. And then we put them in the back seat. And we don't let them drive the car, right? So it's like, sometimes it's like we feel like we need to conquer our fears, but, but we actually need to, to regard them in the same way that we regard every single part of ourselves with love and compassion. That doesn't mean that we let our fears hold us back, but you know, they're just trying to keep us safe, just like our ego is. So regard your fears too, but then set them in the backseat and you go ahead and drive forward anyway. All right, you guys, so there's a lot of movement available to us if we're willing to meet the universe halfway. We've got to really step up and take responsibility for our own wants, needs, desires, longings, for what's holding us back. Because at the end of the day, nothing is holding you back besides you. And you've got to love that part of yourself as well. Right. This reminds me of this reading a little bit reminds me of a roomy poem called The Guest House. And he says, like, this being human is a guest house. Every morning there's a new arrival. There's a new grief, a new joy, a new pain. Welcome them all and let them in. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. This is a time to invite all of it in. Okay, you guys. So I hope that this reading resonates. I hope that it helps. If you like this episode and you like this podcast, please support. You can give me a rating. You can subscribe. You can share it. You can support it through Anchor. And I hope that you have a really beautiful full moon in Aries and that it is illuminating and that you move through these next few weeks as you release with lots of love and attention and gratitude and patience with yourself. Okay? I will see you guys in a few weeks for the next new moon. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,